Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. Today, we're going to take a look at one of the critical elements for B2B marketing success, and that's website. And you think about how you get the most from your investment in your website. Isn't it all about connecting with your target audience and creating meaningful engagement that really generates more opportunities, uh, more awareness, uh, more purchase interest? But to do that, I mean, this is really a bit about science not just art. And we're going to explore how to optimize your website with a true B2B expert. Kirsty Daw is CEO of Webio, and that's a website personalization platform that is empowering many B2B organizations to harness the relevance and personalization where it really matters most. Kirsty was also the founder and managing director of an award-winning agency, Really B2B, which is now part of XEIM alongside brands such as Marketing Week and eConsultancy. Kirsty's a real marketer at heart. And so that really speaks to my heart because my background is a marketing leader. So great, um, passionate marketer and securing marketing's position on the board through work that combines data-driven creativity and measurable ROI. Kirsty, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Dan, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting to you today. And thank you for the the fabulous intro as well. I hope I can live up to it in our conversation. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure you will. And I really want to start going back and and thinking about the beginning for you and, and the choices you've made in terms of your career focus. What originally fueled your passion around this whole customer centric marketing? Yeah, well, I mean, I have always had an interest in marketing. I'm a marketer at heart. My um, my very first, I suppose, career-focused role was working in marketing. And actually, um, in what I suppose the old school would call direct marketing, uh-huh. yeah. like really able to measure the success of your marketing activities and... Um, I actually thought I would be more interested in, you know, the PR and the brand side of things. But when I started to see how measurable some of the activity was that we were doing, I was completely hooked. That's what did it for me. I was like, oh, you know, we do this and then this happens and then we make this change and this happens. And, um, you know, the, the I suppose combining the science with the creative mm-hmm. side of, of marketing um, was got, was what got me hooked. And then having been client side, moving into agency world, translating that same model into the B2B space when you know exactly who your decision maker is, who your decision making unit is, who you want to target, it can also be equally as measurable. And then finally, um, going into the world of SaaS, where, um, you know, we have a product that can 
deliver for customers a personalized experience to visitors to their website and say, well, when you do that, when you serve that personalization, you're going to get a 35% uplift in conversion. Again, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I can do these things and then this happens. So I suppose everything that I've done marketing-wise has always been um, in that kind of really measurable space. And that is what continues to drive me. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, Kirsty, the thing that that went through my mind is continuous learning. Isn't that so relevant for marketers today, right? Because of the ability to measure and then be able to um, adjust and adapt based on that. So it's it's this like continuous learning journey we're all in right now. But we can make, I think the difference is, you know, because I can remember, and I'll probably show my age now, um, going through um, direct mail campaigns that we've run and looking at confidence level tables and saying, right, okay, so if we change and we use this variant, then this is going to deliver this uplift. But obviously with the, you know, operating um, below the line and not in the digital space, you're waiting a long time to see those results. Whereas yeah. mm-hmm. in the space we operate now, you know, we, you run a, you can start a campaign and you can see results in minutes. That's what's I get great about it. Yeah. There's no time even to go get a cup of coffee, right? Before, I mean, you're, this is like real time um, results and learning. Now we're obviously all living in very interesting times and given all of the dynamics and the disruption that we've had in the last couple of years, um, certainly uh, with uh, the global COVID situation and everything else. What do you see making consistent, effective marketing maybe more challenging today, even than say ten or fifteen years ago? Um, but, I mean, I think this was happening already before COVID hit, but COVID accelerated it. Um, you know, the way that a B2B buyer um, expects to buy and does buy has completely changed. Um, I'm sure you remember the, the paper that um, Google did probably about 10 years ago now, um, where they talked about this zero moment of truth. And the fact that um, before you get to that moment of truth where you're like, okay, I'm ready to become a lead or to reach out to that organization that uh, a buyer has has done 75% of all of the research that they're going to do as part of that decision. And they've done it all digitally. So um, when COVID hit, obviously, everything had to be done digitally. And the responsibility for marketers has greatly increased because maybe, you know, in the past we were responsible for getting the buyer to the website, getting them to um, engage, and then ultimately it was over to sales. Now there are so many things that we have to do to nurture that buyer, to drive them through the funnel before they're ready to talk to anybody. Um, so I think it's flipped a little bit and maybe, it, you know, it was, you know, 70, 30, so 70% sales, 30% marketing. And now it's definitely flipped the other way and that, that marketing's responsibility for getting those buyers to engage has significantly increased. Um, and it falls so much more to us to get it right. So we've really got to think about um 
how we're talking to that buyer at each stage of the journey, how we're getting them through to the next stage and into sales. And then also once they are engaged with sales, how we're continuing to nurture them because they're still in that digital world and they're still expecting um, the communications to be served to them in that digital way that are relevant and, and supporting them in their purchase decision. Yeah, that's so true. And you think about uh, really understanding the intricacies of the journey and it's the right message to the right audience at the right time. And so timing can be everything and it's not just this generic outbound you know, marketing pitch. And you mentioned sales a moment ago, and that's really interesting because uh, I know for me and certainly for you, this dynamic of marketing and sales, it's a <laughs> complicated <laughs> but very critical relationship, isn't it? And uh, can you talk a little bit more about what you see as being really the keys to to make for the most effective relationship between marketing and sales teams? Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's one single um, kind of like round table or customer conversation that I'll have where the, um, you know, the, the, the relationship between marketing and sales isn't discussed. Um, However, I think we are getting better at reducing the friction between sales and marketing. And the reason why I think we are better is because, and you know, we, we use this a lot in our organization, is because, especially in the SaaS world, like retention is everything. Like we've really got to understand our buyer. We've got to understand who is not just going to buy from us today, but it's going to continue to buy for us. And that's our ICP. So our ideal customer profile and any business that's got that nailed where they know, right, these guys are just right for us. They are absolutely going to stay with the organization. We'll get naturally much better sales and marketing alignment because sales won't, won't want to close any customers that don't meet that profile. And also marketing's responsibility then becomes, well, I have to deliver MQLs that also meet that profile and you know that can be down to things like you know very simple stuff like you know they they have to have a certain amount of employees or they have to have a certain digital media spend and um, for us it's you know they need to have a certain volume of traffic to their website to make the product work and when we've done that there are no arguments um you know it just becomes really simple and black and white did that lead me ICP criteria no right it's not SQL you know and then you know sales know that they're being delivered everything that is you know on criteria that meets the quality that we would expect and then subsequently they're expected to close um, more of that too so that's what really works for us I think clarity on who you are going after and you know, written down, let's just say that's written down in a document. Everybody knows that this is who we are. This is who we are selling to. This is who we are building this solution for. Um, it kind of takes any argument um, and friction out of the, the conversation. Yeah, I, I like that. And it really speaks to the importance of doing that upfront homework and getting that deep understanding based on your overall strategy and objectives of who it is that you want to attract and, and retain. And, and if you've got that explicit common understanding, I could see then that, and if you're looking at the metrics or reviewing performance against metrics, 
removes a lot of the subjective out of it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And it makes, you know, you know, I think about the experiences that that we've had. Um, sales are then, you know, feeding back, well, like actually, you know, here's some things that customers are saying that I think is going to help marketing. And, you know, marketing are really considerate in terms of like the discovery calls that they do and making sure that they ask all the right questions before the salesperson gets onto that demo so that um, their time is used well. So, yeah, I, I think it's a really powerful, powerful approach. And, um, you know, any organization who's not working that way at the moment is going to continue to have challenges. Yeah, yeah, that, that is absolutely true. And, you know, we talked a lot about, uh, and you mentioned the profile work that you do uh, to get that alignment and that agreement. Yeah. Marketers have a lot to consider when it comes to creating more effective connection. And so this is really around the segmentation, right? So segmentation leads into the definitions uh, and the profiling and all that. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, how to best approach building that profile or building out that segmentation? Yes, of course. So, um, for us, I mean, I, I think about the approach that we go through when we are we're starting to work with customers on their their personalization journey. Um, what we're really trying to understand is um, who are their most valuable segments, and then what characteristics that do those segments have, which mean we can talk to them differently. So. Um, Typically, you know, a client might say, well, you know, enterprise organizations or mid-market to enterprise organizations, these guys are the ones that are really valuable to us, but we also work with SMEs and they're great and they're really, really profitable. So that helps us to understand how we can use personalization to talk to those types of buyers differently. As an example, we might you know, with um, enterprise um, organizations, a lot of our customers are creating more bespoke one-to-one ABM ABM campaigns to really talk to those organizations differently, but also driving them through um, the sales funnel differently because they want them to engage with sales and have a more deep and meaningful conversation. Whereas with their SMB, they're really happy for those guys to um, have a free trial. And also, you know, go for more of a, a, a product-led growth approach. So um, that's one way to look at it. And then we also, you know, from a firmographic perspective, often find that for, to drive conversion, you need to help buyers understand that you work with other buyers that look like them. And that's where industry is really powerful. So we, if I think about some of the clients we work with in the ERP space, you know, what they're selling to a company in FMCG is completely different to what the issues and challenges a company might have in, say, um, construction or manufacturing. And so from a personalization perspective, I want to see, okay, you understand me, you get my business, and um, 
you are clear about the challenges that I face, great, I'm going to engage further if you show me that. But then I also want to see that you've worked and you understand and work with other people that look like me. There's definitely something in, you know, that we, we talk about, um, I'm sure you've read Crossing the Chasm, but yes. um, people want, pragmatist buyers want to see other people who look like them have made that choice and that makes it easier for them. So segmenting your market like that and thinking about, okay, how do we talk to that buyer differently based on where they are, the problem that we're trying to solve for them and how our solution solves it specifically for their industry or their company size, and then let's show them other people that look like them. That's how we would approach the segmentation. And yes, you can do, you're doing that on the website, but even in your outreach, um, whether you're doing that digitally through direct mail, you would be talking to those buyers in the same way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, it definitely does. And uh, a little while ago, we were talking about all of this uh, disruption and, and some of the challenges that COVID has brought. And one aspect, um, and so it's not just with um, uh, budgets and buyers and business models, but it's also how we work has changed yeah. so much. Kirsty, it, it really has transformed. And what's your own personal experience been like um, as you've had to adapt to more of a virtual work environment for your teams? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, challenging like it has been for everyone, uh-huh. obviously, um, for that whole first year of um, COVID, pretty much we didn't have a choice. Everyone was um, virtual. I think it was very tiring and exhausting um running you know very deep thoughtful meetings and conversations over teams um is much more difficult than doing that that face-to-face in a room however however you know there are lots and lots of benefits to um being able to work um flexibly across virtual teams you know the talent that you've got available to you is um, much wider you know we've benefited from that with our engineering teams and you know it gives people a bit of flexibility as well so um being able to drop the kids at school and still be back on for for nine o'clock and um you know make the most of the time that they've got and also do a lot of that deep work i think um for anyone who's in a knowledge-based role those working from home days are actually really, really valuable because you don't have the same disturbance as you do at the office. Um, For us, it's definitely hybrid all the way. Um, I don't believe that you can, and I know there's studies been done on this, that you can influence culture um, Mm -hmm. effectively on an ongoing basis if you're always behind the screen. So... Everybody in our organization now, apart from obviously those guys, because we have a lot of engineers who are, um, you know, in Portugal, in um, Poland, you know, in different parts of the UK. um, But all of our team who are close to our head office are in the office two days a week. And it makes such a difference because... You know, those important meetings, especially when you're having a difficult conversation or working through something challenging, doing that face to face is so much easier. And you can influence as a leader, I can influence my team 
and get them alongside me and, and get us working together much more effectively um, when we are in the same room. But then they can benefit from having those days at home where they just get mm-hmm. right into the to the job at hand. So I really love this new way of working. Um, but I definitely think it's hybrid um, is the future. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds is what you're describing there. And yeah. uh, and it, we, look, we're all learning and we're adjusting and now, you know, three plus years into this. But um, it does seem like the one thing that COVID brought, there was a forcing function, at least for companies that had this very rigid adherence to the traditional model of always be in the office, at least opened up to the possibility that hybrid, if it's not going to full remote, but even hybrid can be like incredibly valuable. And, you know, as you described, so um, that is, I I think that's a positive that's come out of this. Uh, There's not a lot of positives that have come out of this, but that's one. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, in our group, um, you know, working from home just wasn't something that culturally was considered. I think, you know, as a senior leader, I had the ability to work from home, um, would work from home one day a week but it wasn't something that was considered across the board but now um you know across the whole organization you know the i think everyone just has to be in a minimum of two days and it depends on the function you're in sales i think absolutely benefit from being in the office together because they need that vibe um but yeah, I, I think it's made a massive difference to our organization and the happiness of the employees. Yeah. Well, I, I want to shift to something I know you are very passionate about, and that's um, this opportunity for personalization in yeah. experience. And so uh, the web, as we, we've talked about, such a critical element in promoting brands and you know part of the marketing mix. Where do you see this whole personalization headed what do you, what's the future trend there yeah i think you know it comes back to what we spoke about earlier in terms of data um you know we all as marketers know that serving a personalized experience will deliver a better result but we want to know how we can serve the best personalized experience and so with all of our customers they are experimenting and running tests and looking at continuous improvement and you know the way we see it going is you know as an organization that enables personalization we're also an organization that um, can harness a lot of data and aggregate that data to um, share that across our customer base in terms of best practice. So we have a lot of insight in terms of best practice, what works and what doesn't, but um, using uh, AI in the future, being able to build out those, this is what's going to work for you, um, you know, in your particular organization, build out those experiences for our customers so that, they can be freed up to, you know, add value in a more human way with their creativity. And we can say, this is your best practice. Now you can go and make changes to this, enhance it based on your brand, experiment more with it, create a new hypothesis, but that we start them off on the right track with an AI-driven template or experience. And, you know, if I think about all technology, Um, that's the place that I see that AI has is that 
we don't have to start with a blank page anymore. The AI can tell us this is what is going to work. And then we can just add our own input and make it perform brilliantly as creative human beings. Yeah, and there is a lot of excitement out there about what the technology can enable. But also, Kirsty, I sense that there's uh, it can be uh, fear also out, out there a little bit, right? Where what yeah. does it mean in terms of is it going to change the way I fundamentally need to approach my job? Is it going to replace jobs? I know there's a lot of buzz and conversation around that. So, it, it, as with anything that's breakthrough new, there's um, both the upside and, and the excitement. But there's always there's a discomfort a little bit to to kind of get through until it becomes more fully adopted yeah i think what we need to understand is that you know nothing is ever going to um replace the innovation um that we can have uh, as human beings so the way i see ai supporting us is it it starts us off. It gets let's let's take um, you know, Chat GPT. It 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 can spit out a useful headline, uh, you know, something that we can use or uh, you know something that can start us off on our blog. But we still need to be the ones that make it really work. And so I just see it as we can do more because we're starting with something. Um, and it just shortcuts our mm-hmm. our route to success. It's never, you know, I think about the world of marketing agencies and, you know, the big ideas that come out. Like, that always has to come from human brains. That's never going to be replaced. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I don't feel concerned about it. I just think it's empowering, and it's empowering us to do less of the stuff that we probably don't like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Now in my book, the impact makers, there's a whole chapter where I discuss uh, data. We talked a little bit earlier about the real time nature of data today, but it's, we've got such a large volume of data that's available for marketers and business leaders today to try to make better decisions. But I've also seen, as I'm sure you have, Kirsty, sometimes you can have too much data or get bogged down. And then there's this, uh, analysis paralysis is kind of the term uh, that's used for that. And just where decisions aren't made sometimes because you're just swimming in so much data. Do you have some thoughts on how do we avoid that? How do we make sure that this real time high volume of data that's available is used productively? Yeah, I think so. Again, I can reference um, customer conversations, I think is you know, as marketers, we do have a tendency to get very, very excited about data. And we start to go really granular with that. I'm, you know, I'm even thinking of the the customer experiences that our clients want to create, they might go, right, well, if we can talk to people in this industry who've returned to the website for the second time, and they downloaded this, then that will be a really great experience. Yes, of course it will be, but how many people will fit into that particular bucket? And so when you're looking at data, my top piece of advice is go wide and then go deep. So look at 
the data points and the pieces of influence that are going to allow you to um, make decisions fast, you know, and also make decisions that are going to affect a lot of your a lot of your visitors. If we're talking about website personalization, something that's going to affect a lot of your visitors or a big buyer segment if you're looking to go after a particular buyer segment and don't go too granular and get deep because it'll be disappointing. It'll take a long time to get those results. And then once you've proven, okay, once we've gone wider and we've tested this hypothesis and this is really, really working, then you can add to that. Um, But, you know, do something that's going to get you quick wins and then you'll be encouraged to continue basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. Just, uh, this is all about stages and, and progression. Yeah. Yeah. So Kirsty, I want to flip the script on you because I know you give valuable advice to your clients all the time, but when you think about your own career, what's the best piece of business advice you have ever received? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I know this one. This is, um, like this probably was, you know, changed the way the way I worked for, you know, for the better in so many ways. I think it's as leaders, you need to find and surround. And I'm, I'm sure this has been quoted. Mate, surround yourself with people who plug your gaps, who are better at certain things than you are. Because let's be clear, nobody is uh, perfect all-round individual we have strengths and we have weaknesses and what you need to do is get absolutely clear on your strengths and make sure you capitalize those as a leader and then find people that you can surround yourself who can plug your gaps with your weaknesses who are better at those things than you are and trust them to get on with it um we have a tendency of lead as leaders to think i've got to do it all myself like if i can't do that you know i'm failing that's crazy and you will just tie yourself in knots trying to do everything the minute you let go and go do you know what you're going to do that because you're way better at that than I am um you can breathe a sigh of release and relief and focus on you know what you really excel at um and since you know I mean I've probably been doing this for the last um you know 10 years it just makes life so much easier and ultimately makes your organization more successful you said a very powerful word there, which is trust. Yes. And that's a big part of uh, servant leadership, which I'm really passionate about, which is setting that ego aside that uh, you aren't necessarily always the smartest person in the room uh, on every topic. Ideas, uh, hire the best and then give them room to go excel. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a, a real challenge, a constant challenge for leaders in meetings is to just shut up. <laughs> just, <laughs> well, yeah. I want to make a t-shirt. I want to make a t-shirt with that. We need more of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard. Like, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, but um, yeah, I think it's so important for good, for good culture. Now, Christy, when you're thinking about the future, what makes you optimistic? Um, I think, what 
I think what makes me what makes me optimistic is that you know I think about our our solution and software is that when when you really understand how to drive success about out of something that I say website personalization that then it can become a formula and you can automate that so I am really excited about AI um but not AI for AI's sake but to kind of accelerate um our customers getting value or time to value from the product um, in Webio. And I think the more I'm seeing customers leveraging like best practice and knowing what really, really works, the more excited I get about the fact that, okay, well, at some point, you know, you wouldn't even need to do this and build this. It will be done for you. And that's just reading data. Um, And it, it just accelerates all of our decision making and frees us up to to focus on stuff that really excites us. So it, it goes back to that same point I made earlier that most of us got into marketing to be creative, and um, AI is going to free up our time to do more of that. That is a bright future. So as we start wrapping up the conversation, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to elevate? the performance of their teams? Uh, yes, yes. Um, again, this is, uh, I, I think I call this the three, the three C's. And um, I would say to any leader, one of the things that is really important um, for your own sanity is to make sure you have a coach that sits outside of the business. One of the the learnings that I've had when I'm thinking about people and how to drive the best of people is to question, are they, have they got three things, which is clarity, confidence, and do they understand the consequences? So in terms of their decision making, if they're doing anything wrong within your business, whatever that might be, do they have clarity on what they're supposed to be doing? Do they have confidence and the tools that they need to get that done? And do they understand what the consequences to them and to the organization if they don't? And if you haven't given your teams that, then you failed. And so anytime we have an issue, I'm always going back and asking myself those three questions. And that helps me to understand the problem Um, Yeah, clarity, confidence, and consequences, the three Cs, um, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received. I just wrote that down. That's the three Cs. Uh, So (laughs) that is the ultimate gift for all of us. Well, thank you, Kirsty, for joining, uh, giving us a better sense of some of the learning and the success that you've had, getting us excited about technology and the opportunity for personalization. Thank you. My pleasure. It was really great to talk to you, Dan. And a reminder to everyone, please continue to give the gift of feedback to help make this podcast better. You can go out, rate and review. Do that on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.